just before we start the show, I want to take an opportunity to invite you to join me for the Podfluence Weekly Newsletter, which is available both on LinkedIn and through the official newsletter channel. Now, if you are on LinkedIn and it's easier for you to follow there, then please just click on the link in the show notes, which will take you straight to Podfluence on LinkedIn, where you can subscribe for free and get weekly updates on Podfluence articles as well as episodes. If you would like to subscribe to the full newsletter where you'll get additional materials and, as my little incentive to you, my pre-podcast guest checklist for you to use when you're appearing on podcast shows so that you can be fully prepared every single time, then please click the link to the official newsletter in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Let's get on with the show. Hi, it's Johnny and welcome to the show. As we get started, let me ask you, if you've ever had the experience of somebody coming up to you and starting a conversation, but they seem to start it halfway through a chain of thought, and you don't really know what they're talking about, or why they're talking to you about it, or if you're expected to do anything with what they're telling you. Therefore, you become a clarity seeker by necessity. You have to find out from them what is it they're telling you and why are they telling you. This is a sign of poor communication, and it certainly doesn't reflect well on you if you are the person delivering poor communication, and at best it's confusing if you are the receiver. My guest today is Chris Fenning, and Chris has become a friend of mine, a really nice guy, who is an expert in clarity of communication. And I love it when people get to the point. I can be a little bit impatient, if I'm honest, in communication. I do my best to stop myself from trying to fill in the words when people are searching for the next words, but sometimes I just can't help myself. But certainly when somebody is communicating without clarity, I often will quickly stop them and say, oh, hey, let's get some clarity here. (laughs) Or perhaps I won't put it quite so politely. Nonetheless, we could all be better communicators, and that's what Chris is here to help us do with his nice, easy-to-digest book, The First Minute. We're going to be talking a lot about some of the things from the book and also some of the other applications that I started realizing, hey, we could use this somewhere else as well. It was a really great conversation, a lot of fun. Chris is a really clear communicator. Uh, I learned a lot from that, and I hope that you do too. Look, we are now counting down to our 100th episode of Speaking Influence, something that I can hardly believe is amazing to me. And with guests booked in through to next year already, no chance that we're going away anytime soon. But your support really makes all the difference. As a listener and subscriber to the show, I appreciate you from the bottom of my heart. And you can help the show to grow just by sharing the show with your friends and network. In fact, this is a great episode to share, especially to anyone who could stand to be a better communicator. Please do put this out to your network. And if you would like to contribute financially to the show, you can simply buy me a coffee for five US dollars a month, or maybe even take a membership level where you'll get advanced information on who's coming up on the show, what their expertise is, and the chance to put your questions to them and even join us in the live studio. I'm not going to keep you waiting for the show any longer, but if you do want to support the show financially, please do check out the Supercast page in the show notes. And that's also where you'll get other information on how to connect with me, how to connect with my guest, and more information about the show. Right now, enjoy this excellent episode of Speaking Influence. Welcome to Speaking Influence, the show about the psychology and application of influence and persuasion on any professional platform. If you have an online business, you need to work on list building. The easiest way to get started for free is ConvertKit. It's recommended by industry pros like Pat Flynn and our very own Johnny Ball. Click the link in the show notes and start building your list today. Welcome to Speaking Influence. Today we are talking about communication and how we can be 
better communicators. And my guest today is a man on a mission. He is on a mission to prove that techies can be good communicators. So without further ado, let's welcome to Speaking Influence, Chris Fenning. Thank you, Johnny. Thank you very much for for inviting me along. Really excited to be here. I've really been looking forward to speaking to you, especially after reading your book, which you very kindly sent me a copy of. So thank you for that. And it's a very digestible book, Chris. I, I really enjoyed reading it i got some value from it and uh, thankfully it wasn't a huge tome sometimes i get sent books from guests and it's a, it's a big read uh, yours is very easy to work my way through and also very helpful so i like that the theme of the book is about being more concise and clear in your communication and the book itself was fairly concise and clear as well in very much in keeping with that theme so i want to first of all get on to asking really uh, why you are on a mission to help show that techie people can be better communicators. Oh, yes. Thank you for asking. This is the Simon Sinek style start with why. This is the guideline, the point on the horizon that everything I do goes towards. I want to destroy the stereotype that techies can't communicate because they can. They really can. And I think the stereotype is there for a reason, but it's wrong. So I'm going to start by saying... The reason I think techies can communicate is we're talking right now from two different countries live with each other and streaming it to anyone, pretty much anyone in the world who wants to watch it. That is a technological, it's just fantastic. It's a technological marvel. We've got buildings that are 800 plus meters high. We drive electric cars. All of those are technology successes that were created by teams and teams can only succeed when they communicate. Those machines, these marvels weren't built by the sales team. They were built by the technical teams. So technical people can communicate. Here's where the stereotype could do with some adjustment. Technical people struggle to communicate with non-technical people. Right. That is the adjustment. So if we say techies can't communicate, that's just not true because we're living in a world that's proven that they can. The challenge is they can't communicate with the business teams. And well, yeah, and so that's what it is. <laughs> that's that is the core of what I do. Well, no, I was just thinking that some of the in recent times, some of people considered some of the best communicators, like the late Steve Jobs, were techie yes. people. Yeah, it, the communication is a skill. In fact, it, it's not just a skill; it's a lot of skills. And a, a lot of us who work in this field and just society in general will say communication is a skill, and it's not. It's like saying, I'm a driver, so driving is a skill. I can drive a car, but I can't drive a race car or a really big truck or a train. There are lots of different types of driving. Some of my skills as a car driver on the road will translate into race driving, and I've had a go at it, and it's brilliant fun. Thoroughly recommend if you ever get a chance to do it, definitely get on a racetrack. But there was so much I didn't know and so many other skills that are required to make me good at that. And this is where communication is labeled as one skill. And it's not. It's a whole lot of skills Mm. rolled up. Even public speaking, which is often synonymously equivalent to communication, it's one category of communication. And even public speaking is made up of stage presence, body language, tone of voice, rhetoric, storytelling, lots of individual skills that come up under communication. So Steve Jobs was great at communicating on stage about a technical topic in certain media. He was terrible at communicating with his board of directors. So good and bad uh, communication skills in different situations. From reading your book, one of the things I was thinking about whilst, whilst reading was about where else the stuff would be applicable. Like it seems mainly to be focused on communication in working environments, in in the workplace. And I was thinking, well, you know, I, I could see you could take elements of it. And like you said, the different styles of communication, those things could be relevant in some other parts of your life. But generally it is very much focused on those workplace communications and the, the mistakes that people commonly make and how to correct them and, and actually be 
not just well understood, but considered an excellent communicator in those environments as well, which, which is very important. Yes. But were there other environments that you were thinking this could be applicable to as well that I perhaps haven't thought of whilst reading a book? Not originally. So I, I was very clear to steer away from anything that could be considered lifestyle advice, relationship communications. That was not the space that I wanted to go into. I had a very specific problem that I'd learned how to solve. And that was communicating clearly at work. So I stuck to the thing that I knew. So in fact, the first page of the book says, this is a work, this is about work communication. There's some crossover into social, but the focus of the book is about work. Where I've been surprised is how other people have come back to me and shared how it's helped in their lives. I've been talking to a couple of folks in the UK who are using this in helping parents communicate with challenging children or children who are going through emotional challenges and trying to find their way in the world. So those challenging relationships turned out some of the parents used the methods in the first minute to help keep themselves focused on the facts and help separate some of the emotions so they didn't all boil up. I never considered that. I, I certainly wouldn't be the person saying you should do that. It's not my field, but fascinating to hear experts in other areas use it. And one other example, working with a chemical engineer based in Texas, but originally from West Africa, using these techniques as a way to help improve his confidence to get over his worry about having a strong accent. Right. And it, this doesn't, the, the techniques in the first minute don't help with accent, but they help get a clear message across. And if you do that, people focus on the message and everything else around it is less important. So we'll definitely come to some more of the content in your book shortly, but your background yourself is along that techie side of things, right? It, it is. Originally, I was a university education, I was an engineer, an aerospace engineer, and then I moved through defense and telecoms, but always had a foot in both the technical and the business camps. And part of my role has always been sort of a translator between whether it's technical and sales or customer service, customer experience, uh, the engineering. And then my whole sort of life shifted from very practical engineering into more IT focus. So the last 10, 12 years have been far more in the IT domain in healthcare, web hosting, travel. So a lot of industries, but definitely on the technical side of the house. Yeah. Did you naturally fall into working with communication? Then was that something you already had an interest in or had a natural propensity towards, or did that develop (laughs) on that path? Hmm, a natural propensity. I used to talk a lot. I say used to, I still talk a lot. I, through school and university, I barely shut up. Well, I'm I'm quite relieved about that, Chris. I like it when my (laughs) podcast guests talk, so that's very helpful. So talking a lot was never a problem. And I was always confident, confident into the arrogant stage when I was younger, hopefully less of that now. But those two things meant I was always the one who was pointed out to get up and do the group presentation. I never had a problem sticking my hand up and asking a question or just blurting the question out. And when I got into the workplace, I had a very rude awakening that being confident and talking a lot did not mean good communication. And I had... Can I tell you the story of what happened? Please, yeah. I I was giving a client presentation. We worked in a really, it was a really cool area of the company where we took ideas from technical teams and helped them turn them into businesses that would then be spun up and sold off. So we took very, very technical people with very technical ideas, packaged them into something they could sell, and then helped them sell their ideas. And I was given an opportunity in my first few years out of college to present to a board of executives on the really cool idea. We got into the room, I was all prepared and we were running late. So they said, hey, uh, you've got half the time. I thought, okay, how do I do this? And so I started talking at twice the speed and I got into my presentation, I started doing this and my boss put put his hand up. Actually, he put up both hands and said, whoa, just slow down. And he reset the event and I got another chance. And then he put both hands up again and asked me to sit down and he finished the presentation. Oh, wow. That was brutal. 
Yeah. It was my opportunity to impress these people. It was this opportunity to impress my boss, do this great thing. I was really excited. And, ah, oh, that really hurt. And the great thing about that was, first of all, my, my boss was very supportive of that. It wasn't a black mark. It was a learning opportunity. The second thing is he was a very good teacher. And the third thing was I just had enough self-awareness at the time to recognize it as a lesson. Yeah. And started learning the difference between communicating a lot and communicating well. Yeah. And so that's what got me on a, a longer path to being interested in the specific tools and methods and simple step-by-step -step processes that we can use to be better communicators. Right. Yeah. There's so many people who can have and, and have had experiences, maybe not exactly like that, but along those sorts of lines where a presentation hasn't gone well, or they've had some negative feedback, or like their first time doing it has really bombed. And they just make usually that decision of, oh, I'm no good at this. I can't do it. I can't do public speaking. I can't do presenting. Let's leave it to someone else. But it's interesting. I was on a show as a guest at the start of the week and telling a similar kind of story about my first time speaking in front of a very large group of people. And I think it was maybe somewhere between one and 2,000 people in the room. And that was my first time wow. on stage. <laughs> and and I, I don't remember anything of it because I, I guess I was so nervous that I apparently I did my presentation great. Other than I went at such a rapid pace that most people couldn't <laughs> understand what, what I was saying a lot of the time. So people were telling me, you really need to slow down. You just really just blurted yeah. that all out. I was like, that was nerves. It was nerves. It's natural. I am a naturally fast talker, uh, maybe like yourself, but I have to, and I've had to do a lot of work to slow myself down, especially as a podcast host when you're having a conversation and not everyone I have on my show is necessarily a native English speaker and so for them and for audiences around the world who may not be having English as their first language it is really important to be able to make sure you can be well understood that you slow things down uh, but not to a point at which people who are native speakers are going oh for goodness sake please just hurry up and get on with it <laughs> but that's we interesting will try <laughs> yeah. that's interesting in itself <laughs> because you said about you were naturally confident the main reason that got me up on stages in the first place was uh, I'm naturally impatient and I really could not be bothered to wait for someone else to put their hand up. I would be like, oh, yeah, I'll do it, all right? Just, just somebody. <laughs> so we've all, as you said, we've all got these stage stories. And this is part of the reason that public speaking is the poster child for communication. Yeah. But one of the things I, I learned is that speaking on stage and presenting isn't the difficult thing. It's the thing... It's a situation that highlights a bigger problem that all of us have. It's compounded by being nervous. It's compounded by spotlights and extra feelings of having to succeed. But the ability to communicate well on stage is grounded in the fundamentals of good communication, which you also need to be a good communicator in work yeah. and in every day. It's just easier to get by being middling to poor when you're not on the stage. So we have these big moments and people think, oh, I should really learn to, to do public speaking. I should go and do an impromptu speaking class or comedy club, whatever. But actually, we should focus on the fundamentals at work and then speaking on stage becomes it easier because you will, will learn how to have a clear point, how to stick to a point, how to organize things in a certain way. And if you can do that, it doesn't matter if your slides break because you know your point and you know the things that you want to say and yeah. you can organize them in a clear way. Still have to get over the nerves, but the fundamentals help you get over the nerves because you're confident in the ability to deliver a message. And that's, again, where communication gets this broad label that you can you either have communication skills or you don't. And it's not true. You can learn communication skills or you can choose not to. Yeah. Yeah. And Public speaking is just one of those. The episode, an episode that I, I recently published was really all about introversion and how this is with a, a guy called John Baker, really great guest. And his mission, he has a mission similar, similarly to you, he's on a mission, but not the same mission as you. His mission is to help employees bridge the productivity gap that they lose, something like 33% gap in productivity by ignoring 
or not really supporting introverts within businesses and corporations. Yeah. Now, it seems mm-hmm. to me that, you know, particularly focusing on techie people and the likes, introversion is a fairly common trait, or at least considered to be a fairly common trait in, uh, in yes. the tech world. Be, yeah. So is yep. that partly something you've noticed? Is, is that something that is even real? Is that definitely a common trait in techie people? Mm. Mm. Oh, okay. So I, you may see me climbing up onto a soapbox at this point, so I will try and keep myself on the ground. <laughs> I to, to address the point of have I seen it, some of the most outgoing, gregarious, loud, obnoxious, funny people I know are the cleverest techie people I've ever come across. And some of the I say, business, customer service, customer experience are quiet as a mouse. I've seen all types of in both roles. And I'm not a big fan of the tar brush approach of everyone is one or the other because it's it's part of that divisive wedge issue. You belong to one group or another. There's definitely a mix of all types in each of those groups. The second thing, so that covers the, have I seen it? Yes, there's a trend towards people being less outgoing if they are particularly in IT. But introversion isn't about being outgoing. It's about how you get your energy. And something that, that I've discovered recently is I'm there's, there are new, now new categories of you're not just an extrovert or an introvert. You can be an extroverted introvert. I'm very outgoing, very comfortable being on camera, loud, happy talking to people. But I need time alone by myself to recharge. If I was on stage all day, I'd be exhausted by the end of it and I'd need an hour in a room by myself with no noise so that I could recharge and then go to the after party. So on that version of introversion and extroversion, yes, I have seen more people on the IT side be comfortable in solitude and and not be de-energized by that. And that is a natural, it's either a natural consequence or it fits with the job because when you code, you spend a lot of time by yourself at a computer. If you get your energy from being surrounded by people and interacting, coding is going to be difficult because you can't spend hours at a time looking at a screen if that is draining for you. So the energy type, I could definitely see that being prevalent in the IT world, but that doesn't necessarily mean people are quiet or not confident about talking. It's a subtle, but I think- Yeah, so just as much as you're smashing the myths about techies, it is partly smashing that myth about introversion as well as being something that Ooh, requires yeah. you to be um, quiet. That we think introverted people are always quiet and timid and don't say much or don't have anything to say. That no, introverted people are perhaps more likely to think before they say something, and they are perhaps more likely to they're going to want to recharge. Probably have need time by themselves whereas very extroverted people probably don't find that they need that so much but in terms of the actual traits that go with that they are stereotypes they maybe they're there for a reason but they certainly can't be uh, applied to everybody but we do tend to have that association with people in in the tech world for sure right yeah. Interesting then, Chris, because yeah. I want to come on to the first minute, which is the title of your book, and how important it is within that first minute of communication to get as clear as possible, to get the, the level of clarity where people really get what you're talking about. And we've probably all had those situations, and you list some in the book, where someone comes and starts talking to you, and it's only once they've been with you for maybe five or ten minutes that you start to get what they're actually talking about or what they're trying to tell you. (laughs) It's like, well, that's a very interesting story, but I'm wondering why you're telling me. Yeah, so you shouldn't really be finding having to find yourself in those kinds of situations at all if everybody knows how to communicate. So let's, for, for the benefit of our audience and people who haven't had the pleasure of reading your book yet, where do we start? How do we correct this? Okay, where do we start? Great setup there. You start with the first minute. And I'm going to start with a caveat. The first minute as it relates to communicating as we're going to describe it is not the first few seconds or minute of interacting with another human being. So when when you bump into someone in the office, when you have a chat with someone, 
have that relationship building human interaction. Ask them how they are. If you know them, ask them about family, what they've done at the weekends, talk about sports, do that stuff. Definitely do that stuff. The first minute, as we're going to talk about it, begins when you change to the work topic. So the point that you stop talking about, oh, Jane, great, kids swim meet was good on the weekend, they won, excellent. By the way, I want to talk to you about that moment where you switch from personal to professional, from social to work to business, that is when the clock starts on the first minute. Right. So what is the first minute and why is it important? The first minute is the foundation for your conversation. It is your chance to get your audience's attention, focus them on what you need, and let them know what they are going to get out of the conversation. If you don't do those things, and this is why the first minute is so important, if you don't give the audience the things they need in the first minute, you spend the rest of the conversation at best playing catch up and trying to fill in the gaps, or at worst, the two of you in the conversation are talking about different topics with different goals. Yeah, And that can be at the very least, it's a waste of time, but it can lead to incorrect decisions, incorrect assumptions, people going off and doing work that they shouldn't have done. A whole lot of unfortunate and bad consequences can come from not setting the foundation correctly in that first minute of the work conversation. So fortunately for all of us, there is, a, in techie style, there is a formula, a formula yeah. for this. So take us, through, take us through your formula for communication in the first minute. Yes. So the first minute is split into two parts, and each part has a three-part formula. Doesn't get any more complicated than that. This is not one of those ever-expanding things where you need to remember a ton of stuff. X two. equals Y divided by. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Then yeah. it's seven and a half seconds in, you need to do this. Thing. None of that. Very, very simple. The first thing you do is you need to frame the conversation. And framing means providing context, showing your intent, and delivering a key message. And the We'll give a quick description of each one of those. Context is the topic that you want to talk about. Of all the topics in the known universe, you want to talk about one, and that is not in the head of the person that you're talking to. They're thinking about lunch, picking up the kids from the pool, uh, an accounting report by Friday, developing a new piece of code. Whatever it is, they're not thinking about the topic you want. Yeah. So the very first thing you need to say is, hey, uh, Johnny, I want to talk to you about next Friday's team meeting. You then are going to evaluate everything else I say against the fact that it's about the team meeting. If I said, I want to talk to you about next Friday, I might be thinking team meeting. You might be thinking lunch. And so all of the timings, people I'm talking about inviting, I think we should invite Dave and Shwari should be there. And you're going, what? We, why? She's in a different country. How's she going to get to the Olive Garden with us? So we're immediately having a different conversation if we don't have the same context. Mm. So step one in framing, say the context and do it quickly. Hey, I want to talk about next Friday's team meeting. I want to talk about the reports. I want to talk about this project, that customer. Very short, very sweet, gets you on the same page that I need you to be on. Yeah. I love particularly one of the examples you gave in the book in relation to context, which is really a, a bit of an emotional roller coaster for the person on the receiving end of the information, not knowing that the real thing was that just wanted to tell you what, what was going on. Yes, Could, poor Emma. <laughs> poor Emma. So please describe that situation for the audience, because I'm sure you can do it better than uh, I yes. can. Yeah, it go, it's, it's a couple of minutes. I'm going to pare it down for yeah. this. But Emma was a previous colleague. Names have been changed to protect anonymity. And she was about to go to an offsite strategy meeting. One of her team came in, stuck his head through the door and said, hey, do you have a minute? She had a few minutes before having to get literally get in the car and go. This guy came in and he started talking about a problem with a software release the night before. And he said, oh, there was this big problem. It meant all our data wasn't working. And so Emma had this reaction of everything's broken because that's what she was being told. And so she started reacting to that and asking questions. She said, well, well, how long has it been down and who's affected? And I think it was Daniel said, oh, no, 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 it's fine. We found it before it went live. So it ended up not being a problem. So Emma was like, oh, okay, so there isn't a problem. Okay, good. And then Daniel's story continued and he said, oh, but then we found a bigger problem. So she's on this up and down of, well, is there a problem? Isn't there a problem? 
And this went on for about five, five or 10 minutes. And at the, in the end, she was sort of looking at her watch and going, oh, I really have to go. Is there something you need f- from me? Is there, some, is there a problem with this vendor? And Daniel said, oh, no, it was just, it's just a funny story. I mean, it's never a dull moment around here with these guys. And so he came in with the intent of sharing a funny story and was unaware that Emma had been working out whether or not to, to let this vendor go and what the three-year strategy implications of this big problem were and who to phone. And all that was going on inside her head because she didn't know, and this is the second part, you've brought us nicely onto it. The second part of framing after context is the intent. Right. What did Daniel intend? He intended to share a funny story. But Emma thought the intent was, there's a problem I need to fix. And so Daniel didn't do the second thing that our brains need when we start communicating with someone. When you start talking to me, Johnny, I need to know, what do you want me to do with the information you're giving me? And it's not just a conscious thinking, all right, why do I need this? At a fundamental level in our brains, we process information differently if it's an entertaining story or we're being asked to take an action. And until we know that, part of our brain is going, what am I doing with this? What am I doing with this? What am I doing with this? And it comes out, if you, if anyone watching this or listening to this has ever been in a conversation and after one, two, 10 minutes has thought, why are you telling me this? It's because you don't know the intent of the other person. The person yeah. speaking didn't tell you what they needed you to do. I have been in public speaking presentations that are like that as well, let alone conversations. But It's so easy to fix. So just after you've said, hey, Johnny, I want to talk to you about next Friday's team meeting, show your intent. I'd like your help with something. And there are very few types of intent. I'd like your help. I need you to know or heads up something's about to happen. I need a decision, input. There are a few very specific things that we need or want someone to do with information that we're giving giving them. We just forget to tell them because we know it and we think it's obvious. So we just say it. I tend to find myself in, in that, those sort of clarifying questions. I, t- I tend to get to them quite quickly from experience as well, because people will often say that they want to talk to me about stuff that perhaps relates to stuff I do professionally. But, and they maybe want to tell me a problem that they're having. I thought, well, do you want to tell me because you just want to tell me? Or do you want to tell me because yeah. you want me to advise you or you want some coaching on yes. me or something like that? So you have to get to that clarity quickly. Of course, it would be a lot easier if somebody said, hey, look, I'd really like some coaching around this or your advice. Or that she said, no, I just want to tell somebody about this. Would you be willing to listen to me for yeah. a few minutes? That would make my life yeah. easier. But but it would also enable them to get better value from the conversation. Yeah. If someone started with, hey, I just need to vent for a minute. I'm like, okay, no pressure on me. I can listen. I can how I process the information is different and they get what they need because you're not trying to solve the problem for them when they don't want it solved. They just want to be able to vent. And it's, can I vent please? You say something very interesting in the book that I definitely agree with and relate to about people tend to assume that you know what they're thinking about. And I encounter this all the time. Admittedly, probably 95% of that is with my mum, but people <laughs> people tend to think that you know what they're talking about. So you get these random streams of consciousness. You know, I, I don't know. I was talking about something else just a minute ago. Now what are we talking about? You know, th- this is yeah. the thing of we do tend to have these sometimes mental assumptions that people are keeping up with our chain of consciousness or that they lead into the same places that, that we do. And I think that unless you're very synced up with somebody, that's probably very unlikely. But you make it very clear in the book, we do have those assumptions and you have some great tips for helping to make sure that we don't do that and we get that clarity. So the framing stuff, the context and the intent is really important. What comes next after that? After that comes a key message. And the key message is the headline of what you want to say. And there's two ways to think about this. One is the fire alarm scenario and the other is the news situation. So we'll do the fire alarm scenario first. You start a conversation. I said, hey, Johnny, I want to talk to you about next Friday's team meeting. I need your help. And then five seconds later, the fire alarm goes off and we have to stop the conversation. What can I say in that five seconds that means when we get back together, you know what the conversation is about? I should be able to say in one or two sentences, I need your help. 
because I can't get a meeting room booked. I need your help because I don't have any agenda items. I need your help because I've got to take a day off. Loads of different possible situations, but there's got to be a headline. What can you say that if you were interrupted by a fire alarm immediately afterwards, what is the key message that your audience leaves with and says, all right, I know that Chris wants to talk to me about this topic. He needs this. And it's about X. That is the key message. Let's let's dive into a, a couple of examples of that then, Chris. Okay. Do you have any examples? An example of something I want to talk to you about. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let me quickly have a think about that because you're putting the podcast host on the spot here and I'm not. Gonna <laughs> <that>. <laughs> hey, Chris, I would really like to talk to you for a moment just about how you actually wrote your book, what your process was for writing your book, because I'm thinking of writing one myself and I'd like a few tips. Okay, ring, ling, 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 there's the alarm, it's gone off and we leave. And when we come back, I'm like, oh, great, you want to talk to me because you want some tips about how to write a book and you want to want, want to understand what I did. Yeah. You, yeah. in 15 seconds, got your entire topic summarized to the point that we can restart a conversation. You haven't given any backstory. You haven't started with the history of your book that you're writing about. You've told me what the context is, what you want me to do, and why what's the most important thing for you. So that was a really good example of framing. So you asked for some examples. Well, top marks. (laughs) The best examples are any time you switch on the news or listen to it on the radio, news anchors give the best examples of key messages. And in fact, the best examples of framing, because they will start, if you switch on, they'll start by saying in sports, that's your context. The, The two major teams are facing off um, so there's going to be, they want, we want to tell you about an event and the head coach has left for one of the two main teams before a big event. So you know that it's sports, you know that you're going to find out some news and then the key message is head coach has left team before the big showdown. If you then switch off or get interrupted or the, the dog box or whatever, you know what the story is about and you can then pick up from where you left off or if you missed a bit or come back to it later, you can understand what it's about. So the best examples tend to come from news anchors and sports uh, news crews and so on. Mm. In the workplace, the examples will be as varied as the jobs that we have. So someone in a call center dealing with a lost shipment, someone that a customer's called up and they're angry would say, hey, boss, this customer is unhappy. I need your help because we've lost the shipment and they want a refund. The key message is we lost a shipment and they want a refund. 10 words, 12 words, very clear. And it sets up the rest of the conversation to focus on the things that you really need. You're not, they're not talking about who the client is or what's going on behind the scenes. You're talking about finding the shipment and giving a refund. Yeah. It's it's interesting. So that's how you frame context, intent, and key message. And it's 15 seconds or less. Some of the best ones, like the the news examples I gave are, are 15 to 20 words. And you've got enough of a foundation that you, your audience, whether it's one person or a hundred people, are focused on your topic. They know what's expected of them from the intent, and they have a headline of what the the topic is and what the conversation is going to be about. Yeah, this style of communication. I was thinking whilst reading, but this seems fairly familiar to me, and and it just occurred to me why. Obviously, a bit of a Homer Simpson moment, but it did eventually come to me that. I worked for 12 years in the airline industry and uh, as cabin crew. And in those environments, especially in pressure situations, like there's a technical problem with the plane or I was flying, I was actually over the Atlantic on 9-11 and got turned around. Those kinds of situations, the communication had to be very much like that. And, And we do actually, as cabin crew, you get trained in being able to communicate clearly in those kinds of situations uh, with each other. Maybe not quite so new. I think you're starting to talk about situations that could be useful in. I think airlines might actually be interested in that process as well. But, but certainly that style of communication, I think, is already somewhat present there. The concise, you have to have it clear. People need to know what you're talking about and why you're telling them this and what they're expected to do about it or with that information as well. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's so many applications. And none of this, I, I liked the, the Homer Simpson moment, 
Homer Simpson would understand this. None of this is complicated. Uh, I am not in no way saying I've invented the perfect complicated way to do this. Nope. I've just written down what most of us already knew, but but hadn't quite joined the dots. Yeah. And because we never taught this, it's not an official thing. We communicate all the time. We're having a conversation. Are we doing it clearly? Well, yes. Does it matter if we're having a social conversation? <laughs> so. People in the audience are going, no, no, lots of comments. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, we'll when you're at work, it's a very different type of communication. The It's fundamentally different between social and business. And it's one of, I'm going to go off on a little tangent here, but so much emphasis at the moment is about storytelling in business and the power of storytelling. And so the communication coaching and training world is full of people who are teaching storytelling and storytelling is fantastic. If you're getting up on stage, giving a Ted style talk, communicating from a, from a platform, storytelling is excellent. But if you go to a meeting and start with once upon a time, that is not how people want to be talked to in a meeting. They're like, why are we here? Don't waste my time. Get to the point. What are we talking about? What do you need? Let's get out. It's transactional. And so storytelling is terrible for emails, for corridor conversations, for, for meetings, for often for work-based presentations. It's not good. It's a skill that's good in a certain situation, but it's not applicable to everything because communication at work is transactional. And that's what this stuff in the first minute is. It's, it's the ABCs of how to have a functional conversation that is always clear and always concise. There is one more thing that I want to get to with you from the book, which is why I think it's a good thing to get to right now. And so I ask you because I know it's there in terms of when you have more than one thing to communicate. Yes. Oh, we as people are terrible at this. And I say it because I'm, I'm, I also struggle with this. We start a conversation and we want to maximize the time. I finally, Johnny, I finally got hold of you. We wanted to talk to you for three days. And in my head, I've got four things I want to talk to you about. and. If you're lucky, I'll tell you there are four things. If you're not lucky, I dive into the first one and then mention the second one and then talk about how it might relate to the fourth one. And then we talk about those. And We are terrible at organizing multiple topics. And framing this three-part process can help you structure a conversation with more than one topic. And you do it by essentially stacking the framings on top of each other. You start the conversation by saying, hey, Johnny, I want to talk to you about three things. That's actually context within itself. You now know there are three things coming at you. I need a decision. I need approval on something. And I've got a funny story to tell you. Those are the three intents. And then, and I go into this in the book, there are different ways you can structure the rest of your intro. You can give three separate framings. So having said, hey, I've got three things I want to talk to you about. First, I want to talk to you about sports. This event is happening. I need your help. I want to talk to you about the meeting, yada, yada, yada. And then topic number three. Or you can blend them together if the context is the same. I've got two things I want to talk about on one project. And then I want to talk about a separate mm. project. So the point is you're making it clear that there's more than one thing to talk about. I'm giving you, or you're giving the audience clarity and you're giving them markers so that they know where they are in the journey of your conversation. So throughout the conversation, I as the speaker can refer back to that initial introduction. Say, oh, so I said we were going to talk about three things. This is the first one. And then we talk about that. I say, so the second thing I wanted to talk to you about, and I refer back to that brief introduction, and I can give the framing again. Again, another 10, 15 seconds, it's not much, but it sets you up for the second topic and then so on as you move through the different topics. Yeah. So framing can be used to structure multiple topics in one conversation so that they don't all end up as this big tangled conversational web yeah. that uh, that everyone comes away thinking, did we talk about three things and how did number two relate to number three? And it avoids all of that. I, I think I want to teach your formula, your structure, in my live events 
because when it comes to having people asking questions, that's the way I want them to do it. <laughs> because so often we get these long rambling questions and, and one question in 17 parts. Yeah. And, and it goes into story. And I'm telling you this because my husband tripped over the cat last week and then landed on a Lego brick. Or I was like, oh my goodness, just get to the point. So I, yeah, I, I could see myself using teaching that structure as a framing exercise for people like, when you ask your questions, here's how I want you to do it. I'm just making that. That's a really good use of this. Yeah, it's very good. And as you say, fell over the cat and trod on the Lego. You as the person hearing the question are then forced to work out, is that relevant to what I'm being asked or is that backstory? So you're then no longer just listening to the question. You're having to process it and you're having to choose what is relevant to the answer I'm going to give which means the person asking it doesn't get the best quality version of you because they haven't asked the clearest question. But but there's another element to that, which relates to hypnosis in terms of when you are giving somebody irrelevant content, irrelevant information, they are in their head thinking, why the hell are you telling me this? What is, are you ever going to get to the point rather than actually listening to you? So you're right, you're not really going to hear what's saying. You sent somebody into their unconscious mind going, um, okay, hopefully there's going to be an end to this or a point <laughs> yeah. coming up sometime soon. You are losing people's presence and attention when you do those kinds of things. So th- in terms of being able to have engagement and have presence from the people who you, who you do engage with, that is a critical factor. Mm. Yes, it is. Yeah, absolutely is. Excellent. Yeah. What a great use for it. Yeah. I say, yeah. Come up with come up with ideas. It's been a really fun conversation. And it's not over just yet because there's a, a couple more questions I have for you, Chris. But definitely want people to have a chance to come and check out your book. So I think people can see on the screen if they're watching what the title of your book is. So please, please, <laughs> for our audio listeners, give it a plug one more time. Uh, absolutely. It's called The First Minute, How to Start Conversations That Get Results. And it's available wherever you buy wherever you buy books. You can get it Amazon, Barnes and Noble, any bookstores. You can order it. So I'm interrupting my own show here because we recorded an offer that Chris was going to make, but it's for something that's already been and gone. So unfortunately, the show wasn't out in time. However, Chris has made another very generous offer, and I think it's even better than the last one. So in some ways, this works out very very well for you. For listeners of this show, if you go and get yourself a copy of Chris's book, The First Minute, and then leave a review, and I guess Amazon is probably the easiest place for you to do that, but Goodreads would count or anywhere where you can leave a good solid book review, then get in touch with Chris and you'll be able to find his contact details in the show notes for this episode. So take a look there. Once you've left your review, get in touch with Chris. He will give your team or your whole company a free one-hour training session in his communication strategies, which I think is incredible and very, very generous. And look, the book takes hardly any time at all to read. I think I read it in less than an hour and then I went back and revisited it because I wanted to be clear on what we were going to talk about for this episode. But that's all you have to do. Read the book and leave a review for Chris and then get in touch with him. And then you and your team or your whole company will get a free one hour training session. Back to the episode. I like to regularly ask my guests not just to recommend their own books, which you know I've read your book, I know it's well worth a read, but to recommend books that in addition to your own, you have found valuable that may or may not relate to the area that you're in. Maybe it's communication related, or maybe it's just something you have found very impactful for yourself. If I ask you for a book recommendation, Chris, what am I going to get? Oh, you're going to get a new one today. I've been trotting out the same book recommendation for a while. Uh, can I give two? Because Yeah, okay. <laughs> Joel Schwartzberg's Get to the Point is a fantastic short book that will help you nail your presentation. So get that one. But this, for those in the live stream are holding it up, it's called So Smart But, and it's by Alan. It's either Wiener or Viner or Wiener. It's W-E-I-N-E-R. This is the best hidden gem of a book I've, I think, come across in my life from a nonfiction perspective. There are a lot of sticky notes coming out of the side of this book. There are, yes. It is, I, I can't believe I'd never heard of it. If you are 
aspiring to be a leader or a manager or someone who can communicate at work or somebody who wants better executive presence or someone who wants to sound like they belong, look like they belong at work. This book is a very practical step-by-step set of formulas for how to sound like an executive, look like an executive, think like an executive, appear like an executive. And I found no fluff in this book. It is legitimate, tangible, step-by-step with good examples. It's not fully padded with examples. I don't think it even mentions Apple once. (laughs) So it's not all the same things. It is an exceptional personal development book. And I recommend it thoroughly to anybody who wants to sharpen any of their leadership presence, communication style skills in the workplace. It's excellent. I love it when guests give me book recommendations for books I've never heard of before. And I certainly haven't come across that one until today. So thank you for introducing me to that. It's going on to my reading list and I look forward to checking it out. Um, I'm much like you. I don't enjoy fluff in books. I hate that American style of nonfiction books where half the book is just them talking about how great they are and all the amazing things that they've done. <laughs> yeah. Again, it's the get to the blooming point. In my company, we do this. <laughs> and we're amazing. And let me tell, let you. Me tell yes, you. Yes, yes, yes. So yeah, we like no filler, all good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. As we wrap things up for today, let me remind everybody who's watching and listening, take at least one thing that you've learned here and put it into action. Maybe you've learned about framing a conversation. Maybe you've learned about providing a bit of context. Maybe you will remember to summarize what you actually want to be talking about with the person to get those bits even if it's just one bit of the formula that you remember and put into action or something else that we said today think oh yeah i can use that please put it into action and then some you can always follow up get the book and do more on this because we can all benefit from being better communicators chris let me give you the final words here that you would like to leave everyone with today oh Get the first minute right, because it makes everything else easier. It makes your conversation shorter. It helps you get what you want. It takes the pressure off explaining complicated things. Take a few seconds to prepare. And if you get the first minute right, you can be a great communicator at work without ever learning public speaking. Fantastic stuff. Chris, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. The book is really useful, very helpful. I think people have got a very strong sense of that from our conversation today. And I wish you every continued success and keep finding other applications for it. I'm sure you will. And I'll certainly let you know more that I might come across as well or maybe think of as we go forward. But I know that I'm going to be applying your formula in some ways as well into my life and my professional events. So thank you, Chris Fenning, for coming and being my guest on Speaking Influence. Thank you, Johnny Ball. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed the show. If you did, please make sure you put something into action that you learned here today. And of course, subscribe to the show if you haven't already done so. If you'd like to support the show, one of the best ways for you to do that is to share our episodes with your network. Now, of course, share the episodes that you love, perhaps more than the ones that you don't. But word of mouth makes a huge difference to us. And you can now support the show financially as well, even just by buying me a coffee for five US dollars a month. You can help make the Speaking Influence podcast an even bigger and better show. There's also a membership level where you can get exclusive access to our live stream recordings to be in the virtual studio with us and exclusive Q&A time with our show guests, as well as advanced information of the shows and guests that are coming up. To do that, visit the Supercast page in the show notes or in the YouTube description. For now, see you next time and go and make great things happen.